Well, good morning, church. My name is Pastor Cody. If you're new here with us today, I want to welcome you. I think I know most of you. And if you've been with us the past few weeks, you know that we have begun going through the book of 1 Peter. And today we we're in chapter 2 of 1 Peter. And so it's been an exciting ride up to this point. And I think that the text today is going to continue to speak to us and speak to our lives and just challenge us in how we are to live as believers and so it's, uh, it's especially, it's special to be back for me today. This week was, uh, was a crazy week. My mother got married, remarried this past weekend. So we were down in Florida for a wedding. And then there was uh, a death in the family. Uh, Vicky's grandmother passed away, which was, was somewhat expected. But uh, that's always difficult. And so we've been traveling a lot this week and it's been crazy. And, uh, and so it's especially special for me to be back here with you all this morning. It's always nice to be able to come home and be amongst friends and family, to be able to worship God and sing together, and now to, to look at his word and to, to see what it means for our lives. It's especially encouraging to me, and so I, I pray that it's going to be encouraging for you this morning as well. So if you remember last week, Peter after unpacking for, for us, for the church, the believers, what it means to, to put our faith in Christ, what's taken place in our life, our new identity in Christ, he then begins to teach the believers, the church, what it means to live in holiness. And so he begins to give some specific instruction to believers about what it means to live a holy life. And so leading into this chapter, I want to give a little bit of context. The last thing that Peter says before we begin our text for today is that he tells the church to live in holiness amongst the Gentiles. He says this in verse 12, 212, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And so leading into what we're going to study today, that is the, the overarching theme is that Peter is teaching us, his church, what it looks like to live honorably amongst the Gentiles, amongst unbelievers, amongst a world that does not honor God and follow him and walk with him. How can we live honorably in light of that? And so the topic for today is an exciting one. The topic is submission. And I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek because most of us don't really like submission. It goes against our human nature. Ever since the garden, we as man and woman have been rebelling against God and against one another. And we don't really enjoy submitting ourselves to authority. Some of us are better at it than others. But in general, most of us kind of buck against that. And what Peter's going to talk about after telling the church to live honorably amongst the Gentiles He's going to give three specific examples of how they are to submit their lives to the authority that God has placed over them. And so I think that it was especially relevant to the church, but not only to them, the church in Peter's day, it's especially relevant to us because these are timeless truths from God's word that are going to apply to us. And so if you will, before we jump into to studying the text and talk about it, if, if all of you would, uh, would read along with me, if you want to grab a Bible, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2. Or if, if you would rather prefer just to listen, maybe close your eyes um, and listen as I read the text. Sometimes it's good just to be quiet for a moment and just listen to God's word and let it speak to us. And so I'm going to read through the text this morning so that we have a, a clear picture of where we're going before we jump into sp some specific verses. 
So he says in verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And he closes with this, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children. If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. And likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So we see three different breakdowns take place here. Peter tells the church, be holy. May your conduct be holy and pure amongst the Gentiles. And first, he's going to begin to to tell every believer to be subject to every human institution. So he says in 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by, by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who were free, not using your freedom as cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And so the first basic premise that we have here is that we should live in submission to the governing authorities that God has put over us. And Peter says here, sorry if I've said Paul, I do that sometimes. Peter says here that we do this for the sake of the Lord. And so what the scripture teaches us, not only here, but in other places like Romans 12, is that God has placed the civil authorities, the governing authorities that we all live under, he's placed those over us for a reason. And that as believers, 
one way that we live holy and pure in the midst of an evil age is to submit ourselves to those governments. Romans 13, he calls these governments the very servants of God. And so we get the picture here that God is a sovereign God. We've talked about that plenty on Sunday mornings, that God is a God who is all-powerful, that he has created the sun, the moon, the stars, everything that we know, that he is the creator. And that sovereign God who controls everything has placed our government and every government here on earth and every government that has existed before and every government that will come, that he has put those in place and that they are his servants. It doesn't mean that governments always do good. It doesn't mean that governments are perfect. It means that God is rules over them and is sovereign. Proverbs talks about how, how God, he controls even the heart of the king. And so God is in absolute control over governments that he has put in place. And so Peter is speaking to a church here that lives underneath a government that was the greatest the world had known up to that point. The Roman Empire was vast and powerful. And they did lots of very amazing things. Their road systems and their, their systems of government to keep the peace were, were amazing. But the government wasn't perfect. They did lots of terrible things as well. And nonetheless, Peter speaks to the church and he tells them, live in submission to these governing authorities, whether it's the emperor or someone the emperor has put in place, submit your life to them. Why? For the sake of the Lord. And so what, what Peter is getting at here is that our conduct, our lives, the way that we submit ourselves to the governments that, that, is, that are placed over us, it is a testimony, it's a witness to a watching world. The way that we respond to our government speaks to the world about what it means to be a Christ follower. And Peter is saying here that the way that we live should have a positive impact for his name and his kingdom and his reputation in the midst of a watching world. He, he continues on in verse 14. We'll go back just a bit. And he gives us a, a little nugget here about what the role of government is supposed to be. In 14, he says, to submit to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. And so as a little, a little side piece here, this gives us as believers some insight into what a government is supposed to do. And two principles here, a government is supposed to punish and prohibit evil from taking place and to promote the good of the people that live in that nation, in that kingdom, in that country. And so government should, should punish evil and should promote good. And I think that that it's relevant for us as believers, especially as we're, we're coming in, into an election season and everything that we see on the news is about the debates and, and what candidate's going to get nominated by, by the two parties and, and there's just, you can get caught up in all of it. And I think it's great to be able to step back and read God's word and be able to understand as believers that we, the scripture encourages us to, to play a role in our society, to to. to be here for the good of our society and that one of those roles that we can play as believers is to help in our country elect officials and governing 
authorities that are going to punish evil, prohibit evil, and promote good. And so as you consider as a believer who you're going to vote for and all of that that's coming up over these coming months, then I, I would encourage you to keep this, this nugget from Peter in mind. And so Peter's going to continue that. We should do good and put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. We should live as people who are free. And we should not use that freedom as a cover-up for evil, but should live as servants of God. And so what Peter's encouraging us here is that our conduct, as I've said, is, is a— oh, I lost my spot— our conduct is a witness to a watching world. And so the, the question in my mind came up as I'm considering this topic that, that we're being encouraged here to obey governments, to obey those who have authority over us. And that, that the question that came up in my mind is, okay, as a believer, we, we can read this and we can say, okay, I want to do that. But what about whenever a government which is imperfect and, and sometimes ask its people to do things that, that maybe violate our conscience. And especially as, as believers, this, this could happen often. Where should we as believers draw the line then on where we're going, when we're going to obey governments and when we're going to disobey? And so I think this is another very relevant topic. If you've kept up with the news recently, I'm sure that you've heard about Kim Davis and, and her refusal to sign marriage certificates for homosexual couples. And there's example after example in our culture of Christians and, and many people from different faiths being asked to do things that they are not comfortable with that violate their conscience. And so how do we reconcile Peter's command that we're to obey governments and live in submission to them, but at the same time, we're being asked to do things that, that we disagree with. And so I think that the scripture gives us some guidance here. And I think that this is a topic that's going to continue to come up more and more as our culture moves farther and farther away from being a somewhat religious culture to a very secularized culture. And so I think that this is something that all of us as believers have to consider where at some point in our life, if we're, if we're asked to do something by a government that we're not comfortable with, where do we draw the line? And so I want to give you three things this morning that we could consider in relation to that. One is to remember the example of, of the Old Testament and New Testament saints. And for certain, one, one area where saints throughout history have drawn the line is that whenever the worship of God is at stake, that they were willing to obey God and worship God rather than obey governments. And so consider Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who would not bow down but would instead be thrown into a fiery furnace to, rather than to worship an idol. Consider the early Christians who instead of worshiping Caesar were willing to be put to the sword so that they would not deny their God and worship an idol. And so one area where Christians have drawn the line, where believers have drawn the line throughout history, is when the worship of God was at stake. Also, we see in Acts 4 that whenever the proclamation of the gospel was at stake, that the apostles were willing to disobey authorities so that they could instead be obedient to God. The, the apostles had been put in jail and they had been, been told, do not proclaim this story about Jesus anymore. And they said, who are we supposed to obey? You, man, 
or are we supposed to obey God? And so not only when the worship of God was at stake, but whenever the proclamation of the gospel to a lost world was being denied, then believers were, were we have precedents that believers lived in, in civil disobedience. They said, we're, we're not going to obey that command. And then now, where I think we're moving closer towards in our culture, is that whenever the law, whenever authority demands that we do something or support something that is in direct opposition to a command of the Lord, then I would say that we as believers have precedence. We should obey God rather than obey our authorities. So I don't want to belabor the, the topic here, but I do think that it's very important that we ask ourselves these questions. Where would we draw the line in our own jobs, and our own lives? Is there anywhere that we may have to draw the line? And sometimes it's easy. It's easy to to get upset about our government, to, to, to criticize, to have nothing but negative things to say about our government, and then to be like, well, you know what? I'm not going to pay my taxes. I'm, in some way, I'm going to, to protest this government, these authorities that I disagree with. So whether it's, okay, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not going to support them through taxes. I'm not going to obey in this area. It's an area that takes a lot of wisdom because we as, as believers— we're combating against a fallen nature all the time. And, it, and we can't put our own pride, we can't put our own thoughts about what we should, where we should obey and where we should disobey before what God's word would encourage us in. And so I would encourage you to, to, to remember those three principles, to write them down, to consider them further. Because the topics that, that may come up in the future are not simple black and white issues, but they can be issues where it can take an abundance of wisdom to decide where we should draw the line, whether it's in our jobs or, or whatever that may be in, in, in obedience to, a, to an authority that's above us. And so I would say that it takes lots of wisdom and lots of prayer and lots of reading and considering the examples of those who've come before us. And so Peter's going to conclude this. If you want to kind of remember a bullet point by how to remember for how to remember this section, remember verse 17. He kind of captures it all. He says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, love other believers, fear God, and honor the emperor. Honor those who, the civil authorities above us. Peter's going to continue on. He's now going to talk to servants, to slaves. He says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. And he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And by his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And so Peter's advice here, he now moves to slaves. And he says, slaves, 
just as, as all believers are to obey authority, the civil authorities above us, you also are to respect and obey your masters. So the immediate question that comes up when we read, we read this is, is it seems like it's a context that we don't live in. It's a, it's a culture that, that is harder for us to understand. But slavery was a common part of, of life in the Roman world that, that Peter was writing to. It's, and so the church is full of, of slaves. It's full of people who lived in slavery and had masters ruling over them. And so there's a few things to keep in mind. Number one, this is not Peter endorsing slavery. The Bible does not endorse slavery. It's a, a huge topic that you could, you could do more reading on. But overall, as a theme, the Bible never endorses slavery, even though there are instances like this where Peter writes to slaves and says, obey your masters. And what, what Peter's doing here is he's not making a moral statement about whether slavery is right or wrong. He's speaking to a reality which already existed. And he's speaking to believers saying, your circumstances, we can't, you may not be able to change your circumstances, but within your circumstances, you can live in a certain way. And so he says to the slaves to respect their masters and obey them, even if their masters are unjust and treat them wrongly. And this principle is the same. Their conduct, the way that they live in obedience to the authorities that God had put over them as a sovereign God, was going to be a witness to a watching world. And what's encouraging here is that he tells the church that we have been given an example of what that kind of obedience looks like. And the example is Jesus Christ. And so, again, we have to ask ourselves, how does this apply to us? What does this mean for us today? We don't live in a world, thankfully, now where, where any of us are slaves or own slaves. The, that time has passed. But we can ask ourselves, what, in what way could this apply to me? And so I would say to all of us that all of us have authority over our lives that is similar to in some ways similar to what a slave would have lived in in that day. And, and a simple one is that all of us in our vocations, we answer to somebody, we report back to somebody, we're held accountable by a boss or, or a board or some governing body that holds us accountable for our work. And the way that, that Peter encouraged slaves to live should have application and relevance to us and how we live and work in our jobs. And so, I want to ask all of us the question this morning is, is do we work in our, in our workplace in the way that Peter would encourage us to, to work and live here? Slaves were to respect their masters through their pure conduct. And so I have to ask, what would this respect have looked like? I have to think that it would have looked like working hard, completing jobs, having character, not lying or cheating or stealing from their master. Speaking well of their master instead of speaking ill every chance that they had to build their master up and to speak well of them in public and in private. Going the extra mile, doing more maybe than they were asked to, to complete a job. And, and we have examples of this in the scriptures, this kind of thing taking place. Remember Joseph who, whenever he was in slavery in Potiphar's house, he ran the affairs of Potiphar so well that Potiphar put him in control of all of his household affairs. 
And so, so Joseph's conduct, the way that he lived, spoke powerfully to an unbeliever. And so we have an example of what that could look like. And I would say that some of, many of those same things apply to each and every one of us in our own jobs. We as Christians should be known as hardworking. We should be known as, as those who are going to do a job well and do it to completion. Instead of taking place in office gossip and speaking ill about this boss or that boss, whether they deserve it or not, we're the ones who will withhold our tongue and are going to speak life and encouragement into our workplace. And so I would just encourage each of us here to think specifically about where you work and what are some things that you can do that, that would be in line with what Peter's encouraging here. How can you speak well of your boss how can you, what areas are you tempted maybe to, to cheat a little bit in or to, to tell a little bit of a lie in to make yourself look better at work? Whatever it is, I think there are so many, so many applications that could be made here. And as Peter encourages us to remember our example, Jesus Christ. We're going to come back to that a little bit later. First, let's look at what Peter has to say to wives and husbands. And so Peter's moved from from a very public domain that all of us live under, the governing authorities, to a more private domain, slaves obeying masters, and and we made the application the way that we obey our bosses and those who have authority over us, to now he's moved into the home, and he's speaking to the marriage relationship and how the marriage relationship should be organized and work itself out. And so he says here, wives, be subject to your own husbands. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold, and of gold jewelry, or the clothing that you wear. But Peter's going to point women in the church to remember the saints of old, to remember to remember Sarah and the way that she responded to Abraham, to think about the saints of old whose adorning was not external, but their conduct, their character was pure and holy and and God worked powerfully through that. And so there's a few things going on here. There's a few questions that come up, but what's clear in this passage and other passages is that God has a design for our marriages, it's evident in the way that, that he created Adam and Eve. You go to what Paul says about marriage and his instruction to, to husbands and wives in Ephesians, especially Ephesians 5. He talks about how, again, wives are to submit to their husbands and their husbands are to be godly leaders. And now we have here, I mean, Peter saying the same thing. Wives, submit yourselves to husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Live in an understanding way. And so what I would encourage all of us in, in our marriages, is to, to really think about, do we live in line with God's design for marriage? Wives, what does it look like for you to submit to your husband's leadership? Husbands, what does it look like for you to lead and love your wife the way that, that Peter describes here, the way that Paul described in Ephesians, by considering Christ who died for his church so that she would be holy? That Christ is the husband's example. To love the way that Christ loves his church. What does that look like? There's a lot of implications. What's, what's clear here and what's especially challenging is that Peter says that, that wives should submit to husbands even if the husband isn't a believer. 
So even if the husband isn't perfect, even if the husband isn't doing things the way that they should be done in the household, he still encourages wives to submit to their leadership. And so I'm not naive enough to think that that's an easy thing at all. I know that in my own marriage, it's challenging enough for for my wife to submit to my leadership sometimes as a believer. And so I don't want to be naive and speak to to anyone who's married to an unbeliever like it's an easy thing. But what I want to encourage you in is that, that Peter is saying here to submit to God's design for marriage. And so even whenever it's hard women to submit to your husband, which is going to be because whether we're believers or not, we're imperfect. We're going to mess up. We're going to do things wrong. It's going to be difficult at times to submit to a husband's leadership, to consider more importantly than, than just submitting to your husband, that you're submitting to God's design for marriage, that you're trusting that God is going to work powerfully through your obedience to his design by submitting to a husband who is imperfect. And so his example here is that, that women of old have done that and that God worked powerfully through them. And so I want to encourage you in that. It's difficult, it's hard, but trust that God is working powerfully in your marriage whenever you're being obedient to his command and his design for marriage. He says that the little side nugget and he uses it as an example to encourage the w- women to do this. He says, don't let your adorning be external. He's not saying that, that nice jewelry and, and, and beautiful clothes are wrong. The scripture constantly encourages beauty. Beauty is a good thing. And so it's not that, that women you should be uh, adverse to beauty and adverse to the way that, and not care about the way that you look. But what Peter is saying is consider more carefully, consider more deeply your character and your spirit. And what speaks more powerfully than your appearance is the beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which which trusts the Lord and submits to his designs in your life. So hopefully that's encouraging to you. And men, hopefully you're challenged this morning as you read Peter's words in verse 7. To live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And so Peter, he could have said a lot more here, and so we can look to to many other different places in Scripture, but the the basic principle that I want to get at here is that that leadership in in the, the marriage by husbands is not a self-serving leadership. It's not the kind of leadership that looks out for husbands, our, our best, our own interest. It's a leadership that considers our wives as more important than ourselves, that dies to ourself and lives to serve them and bless them and bring about holiness and bring about obedience and and joy and all of these good things that are the working of the Lord in our lives to bring that about in our lives in our wives lives <laughs> got that confused a little bit and so husbands this is a high call well, as i said paul said that the example the bar is jesus christ himself who died to himself for us and so we have the example to follow the example is jesus And to remember that our wives 
he calls our wives here, he says that they are the weaker vessel. And I don't think that Peter is saying here that women are less than. In fact, he says that, that they're equal. He says that they're heirs with you in, of the grace of life. They're, they're, our wives are God's creation just as you are God's creation. In no way are they unequal to you. He says that they're different, that, that in some ways women are weaker. The most obvious one is that generally most women are physically weaker than men. We're designed differently. We're, we're different. And so as husbands, part of God's design is for, for men in our marriages to be strong in the Lord, to be strong in our marriages, and to love and lead our wives and bring them along in that. And so the calling is high, man. We could talk about this for a long time. I want to encourage you to consider this deeply and to think about what ways can you die to yourself and, and bring about holiness in, your, in the life of your wife and in your marriage. Peter says that there's a lot at stake. He says if we're not doing this, if we're not living with our wives in an understanding way, that our prayers might be hindered. That God cares so deeply about this that he may not answer our prayers if we're not considering this and living in line with it. So, so Peter says a lot there. There's a lot for us to leave this morning, to chew on, to apply to our lives. What I want to remind you of is the band's gonna come forward and we're going to just respond to the Lord in worship this morning. What I wanna jump back to quickly is Peter's words about the example that we have in Jesus Christ. Peter said this. He said, To this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile. When he suffered, he did not suffer. He entrusted God. And so our example of what this kind of obedience and submission that, that Peter is describing all believers to live to is the kind of submission that Jesus Christ himself modeled for us here on earth. Think about this. The God King, the creator of the universe, subjected himself to his creation. Jesus Christ left heaven and came to earth and submitted himself to men, to imperfect men, for their judgment. Jesus Christ went to the cross and died for our sins because he trusted God's sovereignty. He trusted God's plan. If you were at the prayer meeting this morning, Keith Tyson talked for a moment about, about the kind of prayer that Jesus was praying before going to the cross, that Jesus was in great anxiety and vexation about having to go to the cross. Jesus knew what was going to happen to him. He knew what the cross entailed. He knew the pain that was about to come, that he was about to endure, but he did it anyway. And why was, how was Jesus able to submit himself to God's plans? to submit himself to, to the authorities that, that God had placed over his life. It's because he trusted God's word. He trusted God's promises. And so as believers, the challenge that, that I want us to leave with today is to remember the way that Christ submitted himself to authority, the authority of God, the authority uh, of the government. And so the words that Peter speaks here are, are not easy. They're not easy to apply, but we have an example and we've been filled with the Holy Spirit 
And we can live in obedience to these things and to trust that God is going to work powerfully through it because this was the result of Jesus going to the cross. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. You were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. God used the most tragic of circumstances. He used Jesus Christ's submission to his plans for the gospel. He brought about the greatest victory that the world has ever known because Jesus was willing to submit himself to his authority. And so let's remember that this morning, that God is a miracle worker and and that he is at work in our lives as we obey and submit. And let us remember the gospel that through that design, through that kind of submission, that we have been brought back, all of us, we've turned astray and we can return to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. All right, let's respond to the Lord in worship.